I would say never assume someone understands who, you know, what's in your brain. <laughs> I think that's the first okay. thing. Welcome. This is Unfolding, the show where I talk to creative business minds. My name is Marco Pfann. And today we have Nico Pertoliano. Nico Pertoliano and Nico is the co-founder of Resonate from the, from the US an amazing motion design studio and what we're going to talk about today is what they call the four-day work week before we start nico would you mind just giving us a quick introduction about who you are and what you do sure sure i am uh again as as you mentioned i am the co-founder um of resonate we help build brands and help customer with customer loyalty through creating awe and wonder. And I work with my wife. So we've been, we started this company back in 2008. Um, and, and so far we're here, <laughs> survived, you know, the pandemic. And, and I think we're, we finally hit that point. Like we're understanding what we're doing. Hopefully. You're understanding what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get into that. <laughs> well, you know what it is? We started out as artists, you know, we didn't really know anything about business. I mean, our whole thing was, we just want to make cool stuff. Right. And, and then, you know, for over 10 years, I felt like something must've been off, but we, you know, we still kept going. And then I think the pandemic, you know, kind of helped us kind of refocus and understand why are we doing what we're doing? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, we, we got some consultants and then next thing, you know, we're like, oh, I wish I knew that 10 years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. so I, I kind of love your positioning that it's, it's clear, it's crystal clear the value you provide, but also that's the kind of creative too. So that's, that's amazing. But we want to talk about the four day work week. Yes. A concept that you introduced into your company. Tell me more about that. Um, so in around, I think the later half of 2020, um, well, actually even before that around after March, you know, we started to lose, uh, certain people, um, mental health issues, or pretty much they're just they decide, you know, if we don't know what's going to happen, I think we're going a different route. And, 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 and like I said, that's also the time we started to realize, you know, we need to kind of really understand what we're doing in terms of, of business owners. And talking to our general manager and talking to some of the, um, the other co colleagues from other like companies, and we kind of decided, you know what, what if we just realized even us as owners, we never had a weekend. When the weekend comes in, we were still working until Saturday and then we have Sunday and then we have chores to do. We have to do the laundry. We have to like do groceries and there's just no time. And we realized if we're feeling this way, you know, I wonder how our employees feel. So we kind of decide to let's figure out how to do an actual three day, you know, a weekend. And, and because of, you know, 2020 with the pandemic and the lockdowns, um, it was a way I think for us to kind of deal with some of the mental stress that people were having of just either some of them were isolated. Some of them were living with their parents and now they're like, oh, you know, like when they had dinner, like they have to be having dinner with the family. So it like disrupts things. So um, it, it helped, I think, for them to also manage in terms of now I have a three day week weekend. I would kind of know what to do in terms okay. of whether it's like um, whatever you have to do in your life, whether it's like laundry, food, et cetera, or even just hanging out with family and friends. Um, 
But also on a business end, we were thinking about it as a, you know, doing animations and graphic design. We just realized, you know, in a, if there's a heavy project, most people go beyond, let's say, the 6 p.m. time. And then for us, we actually paid overtime for people. Okay. Um, and we went kind of back and forth in that. Originally, we didn't have that. And then we instilled uh, overtime. And then at some point, we started realizing, are people taking advantage of this overtime? Um, you know, kind of the work during the day is a little slower. Um, and I think a lot of that also came into play. And we're like, you know, if you're going to stay anyway, let's just normalize it. So, so we have, so what we did was Friday's off, but mm-hmm. you still have a standard 40 day, uh, 40 hour week. Oh, that, okay. So, but that's cramped into four days now. That is cramped into four days. But before, I mean, you, you went, you pretty much went from, I mean, you worked Saturdays, you, your employees worked <laughs> Saturdays too, right? So that was a 60 hour week anyway. Yeah. And overtime, you know, and so there's and extra overtime, overtime too. So. 10 hour shifts each day. It what, is, it is 10 how hours. Do your, how do your employees cope with that? Do they like it? Is that hard it, to them? So this is our second year or second, yeah, okay. I think it's more than two years because we did a full uh, 2021 that way and 2022 is almost over. So I guess over two years. Um, they, there was only one person that had a hard time with the early morning wake up. But I'm like, but you're at home. <laughs> but that was the only thing. Everyone else liked it. Um, because of the weekend, um, it made them focus more on the work because they know they now have time versus this idea like, oh, I, you know, it work ends at five or at six. Now that they know they have those extra time, they're actually able to manage the work a little bit better during the day. And within that day, you know, you'll, we also include lunch and dinner. So it's not like, so you have those two hours of break. Um, and then you can also decide in terms of whether you want to not have your dinner and then have it at the end. So you're, you're really going for like that nine hours versus that 10. So, mm-hmm. so the end part is, is a little flexible for them. For oh, that them means the, the breaks are with So you, yeah, yeah. 10 hours and breaks are included in those 10 yes, hours. Yes, they are so included in there. Like, more like a nine hour and no overtime. Do people uh, still work overtime? Um, the, during the day. Not too much. I would like to say almost no. Um, but there are times where we do, if, you know, for some reason the project calls for a uh, weekend work or Friday, because now Friday is a weekend. Mm-hmm. And for us, the way we compensate, it would be like double pay. For Not that. Bad. Also, just to note, this is only for staff. <laughs> yeah, <I guess> I- <laughs> just to know, because, you know, people, you know, wonder. So, and people wonder how you balance. Well, there's, there's also sometimes freelancers. So sometimes you can balance it out. If we are closed, meaning the staff are, is not around during Fridays, sometimes there is a freelancer to cover. I mean, that's an idea everyone has at some point, right? Right. So why did you actually take action? Why did you implement that? Was there something specific that happened or? Uh, well, I think really it was 2020. The lockdown, you know, the the lockdown did it talking to, um, our staff in terms of how, how they're feeling and, and also just for, you know, me and my wife trying to figure out where we're working so hard, but we I don't think we're working smart. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, what's the point of doing all this stuff? If it's just work, 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 what's, when can you enjoy the fruits of the labor? Um, Yeah. So I think a lot of that was during that time that really kicked in. So what changed 
Oh, I think the biggest bump was the fact that no one else in the world or our clients mm-hmm. also work that way. <laughs> I don't know. Right. So, well, currently none of our clients do. So that was the challenge, right? How, how to fill in that gap. Do we tell them straight out? We just don't work Fridays, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so the, I think, so that was one of the big challenges. And then we found a way to, to do workarounds on that. And I thought it was kind of smart where, Fridays would basically be the days where they can give their feedback. So thir- so, so Fridays won't be posting days. So we would post stuff on Thursday and the expectations on Fridays is when either our clients would be able to give their feedbacks or comments. And then we can address those on Monday. That makes total sense. Did it change the turnover rate that you had in your studio? Well, so we have an interesting um, setup because... But generally, I would say yes, because I think when I when we spoke to the team, the fact that they knew they had long a longer day, they really knew how to manage themselves properly. Because some, sometimes, mm. you know, certain animations, it's like you're just kind of doing it, and then you realize you hit a bump, or there's some technical issue or something. So that extra time kind of helps helps them. Mm. Um, but I think for us, we, so we have a unique thing because we have two offices. We have one here in New York. And then we have one in Asia. So we, we work in terms of those time differences and their end of day is our beginning day and vice versa. So usually what happens is, so our process is we always post in the morning for our clients here. Um, and we also, because of our setup, we solve the issues of when we get feedback at the end of the day. Because I, I remember working for you know, other companies and we get feedback at 4 p.m., and right. the expectation is to either get something done later on that night or the next day, like during the day. But of course, you know, it's, you, you want to go home and you want to come back the next thing you start working with, you'll finish, you know, towards the end of the day. But since we do have um, another office in like our staff in, in Asia, they get to do the work of any kind of feedback, which was given here mm-hmm. in, uh, in New York, you know, at the end of day. And they could turn it out. So then we post so in the morning. You all, you you actually have two shifts. That's like almost a twenty-four hour uh, workload. Almost, yes, almost. Um, yeah. So how did you come up with the idea to open? I think in Manila, right? Uh, yeah, it's in Manila. Manila. Um, so I, after working in um, in New York for like maybe three or four years, um, I moved to Manila because um, that's where I met my wife. And then we started the company there. Mm. And from there, I kind of got tired of Manila. And also just the the challenge of actually uh, the industry was a little challenging. It wasn't what I was used to over here. You know, I felt like there was less, th- less opportunities. So I said, let's come back. But since we already built a, a, an infrastructure there, let's, let's go back to New York. I still have all my connections and let's start the company, another company there slowly. Um, our first two years was so grueling. Um, I can't even explain. I don't think, you know, my wife and I slept because we were trying to figure out how do we work back and forth? You know, the team wasn't used to, let's say just even the culture of America and things like that. And we had to, and we, you know, at the end of the day, we would take notes and feedback and decipher them for them. We would stay up until like three in the morning, kind of explaining things. And Mm -hmm. we would stay up to kind of, you know, really manage and look at the work and, and what they're doing. Um, cause that's what they were used to when we were there, you know, we would be there, you would go over, Oh, can I just see the work in progress? 
But now that we were away, working remotely (laughs) to some degree, um, it took two years to kind of get them to a place where they felt competent, understand um, our nuances in terms of like either direction or what we were looking for. So what's your biggest learning in that process? Like this is a lot of around creative direction, leading people, Mm -hmm. giving them responsibilities. Yes. What's your biggest learning around that? Um, Never, never assume, hold on, sorry. Um, I I would say never assume someone understands, you know, what's in your brain. (laughs) I think that's the first thing, you know, it's like you have to understand that they may not understand it and you have to kind of explain things in a more, in a way and not that you understand it necessarily, but more uh, objectively, you know, give references, I think is also strong in terms of kind of not just verbalizing things. It's always good to have some kind of reference. So it's easy for them to understand. Also, our biggest learn is um, it's it's definitely harder, especially, and I guess now we're working remotely, right? Um, it's It's really hard to have discussions when you don't see anything in front of you. So even having a sketch of an idea or a layout or a composition, even if it's like stick figures, helps a lot to have a conversation versus not having that at all. So how do you solve that? Do, I mean, do you write emails? Do you have oh. Zoom calls? Do you, oh my like, gosh. How do you, we, yeah, how we've do you done do so many. <laughs> so We went through so many iterations of these things. Um, so our current process really right now is just... Um, so we, we use this app now. We used, we used so many different apps before, but we, we are finally using this thing called uh, Milanote. And that kind of helps us to put in all our references, sketches, and we can actually draw on, on that platform. Then we would get on a call. Like we would either, you know, we use Google Meets. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we just kind of discuss. Uh, it's almost like we're, it really does feel like we're in the same room to some degree. It's like almost like there's, it's like a virtual whiteboard to some degree. And you can just kind of point and, you know, this is what I'm talking about. You see like what this references looks like. You see how like the shadows being done this way. So that's kind of how we communicate um, in terms of feedback or even in the beginning of a project, if we're doing a pitch in terms of how do we conceptualize something. But that also includes a lot of preparation time, right? It's not like I, I open the browser, look for something and then, look, this is what I mean. So you actually, oh, yeah, yeah. you have to be prepared, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It's not, you can't, you can't just go on there and be, and, and <laughs> we we've told them this too. I mean, don't get me wrong. In the beginning, it was kind of a free for all. Like, you know, imagine yourself in, you know, when you're in an office, you just get everyone into the office and you're huddling or like you're brainstorming, right? There's nothing on the table. And even that we've learned, it makes, it's just more efficient before you go to any of those meetings that you have something to show and to discuss versus just coming up with, with an idea on the spot. So even, so when we were physically all together, actually that's what we started doing too, just because the, because of time. And then we kind of took that once we started working remotely and it really helped it, you know, it made the team realize when they come on the table ideas, they have something, they have some references that they want to show and not just, Oh, you know, verbally this, you know, I saw this movie and they did this not helpful. Um, so when you get on the table, whether it's virtual or literally on the table, um, everyone is prepared. Um, and they're prepared in, in a sense that, and, and we talk about this with the team that it's very helpful if you come in with some solutions or with some concrete, like ideas on how to execute or, or whatnot versus questions, 
you know, like, can I do this? Should we, are we able to do this? Oh, so be a little more suggestion more. Yeah. Be more proactive about it. And then we can discuss whether it's actually feasible to do those things, you know. I like that. So that's my, you actually, you actually give them responsibility, but also freedom. Like they can call some shots, but they also yes. have to. Um, amazing. We also had to so, learn on how to give them autonomy. And that was the big thing. thing. Okay. Sounds straightforward, but now, <laughs> now you're talking to people in Asia, right? And I, I've, I've worked a lot in Asia. Right. That's not really, <laughs> I mean, you're from Asia anyway, or your wife is from Asia. This is not the typical mindset. Two years. How, That's why I mentioned earlier, it took over two years to get to that point. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely correct. You know, um, this idea of being autonomous and the idea of being able to sit on the table and give an idea, especially in Asian culture, Mm -hmm. very challenging, very challenging. And I think it took a lot, a long time for them for trust, for trust on us that, yeah, you know, it's big. It's around trust. So it's kind of trust that you establish. Is that the key to the whole thing? I think there was a, there's a little bit of like kind of rearranging kind of some furnitures in their brain of, of thinking that if you, because I think the fear is either there's a feel of sounding that they don't know and that they'll get ridiculed. Right. So mm-hmm. we had to make sure that they understand there's nothing, there's nothing that you say that will make you look dumb or, or not smart, or you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but if you don't say anything, that's worse because we, we have no, we can't read your mind. And, mm-hmm. and, and we're not here to judge you on what you say, but we just want to know, we need to hear it and you need to hear it too, in terms of what you're thinking in your head, verbalizing it. Um, and it took a while for people to start to trust us that we won't laugh at them or like, you know, look down on them or make them feel insecure of maybe them feeling they don't know enough. Okay, that took you two years, which is still amazing, I believe. Uh, well, it's still like, working I, when we get new people, but generally... Yeah, that, the, the, that was my question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How fast can you onboard new people now? Um, ooh, that's a good question for a general manager. Um, I, so what we do now is usually we start off with interns uh, mm-hmm. over there. I would say... Um, like when we... Actually, when we've... Usually it takes... Um, around three to six months. That's good. You know, I mean, to that, get that for any freelancer, it takes like three to six months to get them to the. Yeah, just a caveat. One. It takes them three to six months to understand the processes we have in place, etc. I think it takes a little bit more for them to really start to open up. It also depends on how, on their upbringing. Um, but what my wife and I do is we, you know, we try to talk to them you know, also outside of work, meaning just like catch-ups so that they also feel comfortable in terms of just being able to express, you know, their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And our general manager, um, after 20, around 2021, she decided to, you know, do at least half hour conversations with everyone in the team uh, throughout the right. week. Okay. Just just a catch-up, you know, just, right, just to right. get them used to being asked questions, you know, that they're not used to just have them be able to share just to have that practice of like opening, ex- opening up to, let's say your, you know, your superiors as, as they would feel. Cause there are tears in Asia, right? There's so just to have that, you know? Um, and you know, here's one, here's a good one. 
So in Asia, depending which country, but in the Philippines, for example, like they're so used to, if you have a superior, you either call them sir and then their name. Like they would always call me like Sir Nico. Like I'm not a knight, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Or like, like, like ma'am or whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, we tell them all the time, you don't have to say that. You don't have to say that. Um, but for some, it's so ingrained in the culture, they feel very uncomfortable by not doing it. But there's some where some of our team members finally found, you know, finally was able to get out of that barrier and, and that's taken away. And it makes them feel a little bit more closer to us in terms of a colleague versus just a, a boss, mm-hmm. per se, you know. Uh, and for some, you know, there's still that, you know, um, c- more casual relationship, but they, but they still have um, ingrained of having to, like, say, sir, you know. There's, there's still a little bit of that, but it's, it's a slow process. But that's one of those examples of like how they're seeing hierarchies and and et cetera. So, so you also have uh, a team in the states. Slowly, we currently have a produce uh, staff, a producer on staff. Uh, usually, we get like freelancers in terms of an art okay. director or yeah. or um, or an animator or designer, depending on the project. Um, but that's what we we're gearing up. So oh, our, so our next amazing. phase. But, so your yeah. whole creative team is in Manila at the moment. At the moment, I would say. The bulk of the um, guys would execute because sometimes like either me or my wife would do some of the okay. pre-work. Got but it. slowly we're trying to take that away and we're slowly trying to find. So next year the goal is to get a art director, uh, uh-huh. a staff here in uh, in New York. So we're doing okay. kind of like a slow process of getting getting our staff here. The quality on your page is top tier, right? It's like the quality of your portfolio, the work you do, the animations top tier just from my own experience <laughs> getting that quality out of asia i'm not saying asia is two bad, years but- again two years <laughs> you're forgetting <laughs> about this two years of no sleep and like okay. you know staying up with them and like going through this stuff and like really pushing them and and just just you know the those first two years like we have you know currently we have leads uh mm-hmm. a staff and they've been with us for you know more than five years already. So we've been really bombarding them in terms of how things should be done. How do you look at, how do you quality control the work? What do you look for? So it was like constant bombardment. And then when we were, when we finally left and moved here, you know, we had to even like increase that even more so that they can really have the confidence. Like, okay, I understand what they're looking for. I need Mm -hmm. to make sure like these, you know, these kinds of animations have this. Um, So, so we have specific people that, that we feel we've trained. So that's, I mean, that's the key thing. We've trained them to get to a certain point mm-hmm. and then hopefully they, and then they start to cascade that with the other teams. Like, especially when you have new people or new hires. Is that true that it's easier to find great talent in Asia than it is in the States? My personal experience, I would say it depends on what you're looking for. Animators? Um, Animators, I feel in Manila is a lot more challenging than it is here. I think mm-hmm. in terms of, okay. um, I, th- I feel in the Philippines, there's a lot more illustrators. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I think Philippines has an interesting history because they were known for animation back in the 90s. You know, all the uh-huh. filmation stuff, like that's all done 
in Manila. If you look at the stuff like for He-Man and things like that, a lot of really? in Disney, a lot of stuff was farmed out Man, to Manila. <laughs> and uh, and something happened where that industry and there were a lot of like, you know, big studios and a lot of them disappeared. And a lot of it started to farm out in different parts of Asia, whether it's um, Malaysia, et cetera. And now, you know, they have a good industry in terms of animation over there as well. But, and because of that, and what happened, I think in the 2000s, a lot more illustrations started to come into play and graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot more illustration, illustrators over there. Um, there are people who do want to, you know, do animation. Uh, there is a handful. Um, it's hard because a lot of them are also being used by other companies or they're already in staff. So mm-hmm. it gets challenging when you want to grab them because they're already, yeah, they're already taken. Um, so in terms of like pools of freelancers, I, in terms of like artists, especially for animation, I feel like we have a better um, uh, pool here. Uh, that's like quick and you know, they can do it. You know, mm-hmm. even if they're fresh grad, like, you know, like they know how to do something. You just have to kind of, they just have to understand like the processes of, like, let's say your, your company, et cetera. Right. Um, where I, I feel like over there, there's still a little bit of a learning curve, especially mm-hmm. with working with teams, et cetera, uh, like that. Um, but that's just my ex- current experience. Um, we do have a lot of, uh, we do have a handful of freelancers that we work with, but it took us, you know, around 10 years to find them and, and keep working with them so that they ha- they know how we work. Uh, so we can have that nice, solid relationship with them. So quick summary. You have a four-day work week. You don't work Fridays. And the bulk of your team is at the other side of the world. Currently, yes. How do you explain that to your clients? Um, so some, most of our clients know that. Um, there are some clients that don't know that. Um, it depends on who we're working with. Um, if we have a direct client, we're, we're open about it. We just tell them. Because there's there doesn't make sense to hide. I mean, the, if you look at the work, the work is created by my team there. So mm-hmm. you know, there's no reason for us to hide. There are times when we work with other production companies, and you know, let's say like we're whitelisted as that um, for that company. Um, usually, that's like nothing is mentioned. Usually, since it's it's, since it's not our client technically. Mm-hmm. Um, so right, we're, it's being farmed to us, but yeah, I, that's kind of how we, we deal with it. And most of our clients that meet us from before, um, they know, and it's also on our website that we have two offices, but one thing you still, and tell me a little more about that. Yeah. You, I know you have something like team bonding experiences. Uh, how do so, you call them? Oh, so, so there's two things that we do. We have, um, you know, team building. Again, that's, I, I think for any very general corporate stuff, you know, if you have a corporate, big corporate company, the idea of you go out and you, you know, you Get do drunk uh, sometimes at night. And then, but during the day, like there's games and stuff, you know, whether it's trust games or uh-huh. ways to or cooperating, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so we do that once a year. And then another part of the year, we do just regular, like a team outing where it's just, you know, around December time, let's all just celebrate and all the work that we've done and just chill out together. So that's team building. Uh, that's more like team outing. The team building team is outing, like another okay. time that could be during the, uh, the middle of the year where mm-hmm. you just take a weekend and just kind of, it's almost like a, you know, general assessment of like, okay, we need to kind of bond and understand teamwork. And sometimes there's workshops just to understand what it means to, for as teamwork 
you know, so it's a little bit different. It's a lot more organized. There's a program, et cetera, kind of on what to do. The outing is just, okay, look, we're going to take you out. Let's go to like a beach, all of us for like a weekend and let's just hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, this is impossible. What are you talking about? This is not real. <laughs> so you're, you're going, so you're pretty much from, you fly for the weekend to, uh, to the Philippines. Hang well, out on the beach. Or maybe well, not a weekend. Week. Like, we'll stay there for like, um, you know, maybe like almost a month. That's great. That's amazing. And, but for us, like for, for me and my wife, you know, we take that opportunity to like go to Singapore, talk to our clients mm-hmm. over there and, and show face. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so we, we have other clients okay. within Asia. How do you uh, acquire them? Do you get them from people in Manila or do you acquire them? How do you get those people in Asia? Sure. Um, some of them were f- when we were there. So it was like old relationships and we're just oh, kind of keeping, keeping tabs and, and working with them. Uh, we have a sales team, well, a marketing sales team in Manila, and they're the ones who kind of reach out uh, in the Asia region. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how that happens. And, and, you know, we're doing, you know, we're using LinkedIn, LinkedIn, also, but LinkedIn doesn't really work in Manila, but LinkedIn kind of works with, we feel like within let's say Singapore or like mm-hmm. other parts of Asia, but not necessarily Manila. No one, they prefer Facebook. I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Got it. But, that, that, but that's the, the outreach, you know. If you could, I mean, it's an amazing system you have. Like it, it's a great culture and you, ha- you have the double challenge of actually having the people, you, you care really about the culture, about the people much more than others do. And then, the, then they all they are also on the other side of the world. So this really is amazing what you're doing. If you could, would you prefer to have everyone here? Yes and no. Um, because I see the advantage of playing with the time zones. Mm. And if we had everyone here, it would be the same. We won't be able to offer anything different than anyone else was here. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. You get your feedback at the end of the day, everyone's stressing out, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, before the pandemic, our whole plan really was to do exchange, kind of like an exchange plan where some of them get to come here, experience what it's like even more, and they can bring it back, but also get that experience of working with people here directly. Um, we're slowly working in that as well. Um and it's funny you also mentioned about culture just just you know since we started this as artists i mean the whole one of the reasons we also wanted to start our own company is because we saw what we didn't like in the studios that we were working at and we wanted to see if we can actually make something better mm. and and when we did one of the first thing we did is actually made a handbook that talks about the culture that we're building so so we have a handbook so anyone who comes in we have this handbook mm. that explains our history, you know, our vision, like what we're looking for and the culture that we're building. That is amazing. Yeah. So you really put some effort into this. I love it. I'll share that with you. I'll share that with you. Please share with me. I would love to see that. That's amazing. So Nico. Yes. Last question. I love this question. I will ask this everyone. What's your message to your competitors? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> what is my message to my competitors? You can decide oh. if you... No, no, no. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think I, I see my competitors really as 
colleagues now, you know, versus before. And I think um, what I've learned in 2020 is that, you know, as much as you can, rather than holding and keeping secrets or how you do things, I think it's better to share. And mm-hmm. I think once you're able to share, let's say your processes or what you do, not necessarily secret sauce, right? I mean, that's your own, but just being able to share those things, I think will help the industry and grow either as individuals, as your artists or as an owner. Um, it kind of helps lift people up a little bit, you know. To mature the industry, to... yeah. Like, I really like what you said in the beginning to, to understand the clients, the problems, things like that. Yeah. So great message, Nico. <laughs> that was Nico. I'll still love your four day work week. And if I ever decide to come back as an animator, uh, you'll, you'll be the first one that I look for. All right. It could, it could be marketing, you know, it could be consulting too. <laughs> Many options. Many options. Four day work week. Thanks for your time. I want to be respectful of your time. Yes. That was a great call today. And yeah, looking forward to our next one. Thanks. Yes, same. Thank you so much. That was Nico from Resonate. And we talked about their four-day workweek model and how they built a creative team across different time zones and across the entire globe. My name is Marco Pfann and I hope you're going to join me in the next episode where I again unfold some creative business minds.